You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, if you have Bibles, we are in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. Page 1023 is where you can find our text. Uh, And these verses that we're in today... This is the the Apostle John's third and final discourse about love. He writes a lot about love in this letter. We've talked about love uh, some some already in this series. But by far, this is the Apostle John's deepest dive into love. Between chapter 4, verse 7, where we're going to pick it up in just a moment, and chapter 5, verse 3, where we'll get to next week, John includes the word love, or some derivation of it, 30 times. 30 different times. And so as you're going to hear, John continues to call Christians to love one another. But just like everywhere else in this letter, John is never writing simply to instruct people. He's never writing just to tell us what to do. He's writing to give assurance and confidence about who we are and about where we actually stand with God. And we need that. We need that because this is where our call to love almost always breaks down. We, we know that we're supposed to love people. That's not a surprise to us. We know that's how we're supposed to live. And the vast majority of us are trying to, to live a life of love for others. But if we're honest, one of the heaviest burdens that we carry around with us for our whole lives is this nagging sense that we aren't actually loved ourselves. We carry around this nagging question, am I loved? Am I lovable? Does someone love me? A lot of our lives are driven by shame or a deep sense of insecurity. And it might be subtle, but it's persistent. And we get so used to to this note that it just becomes normal. We don't even notice it anymore. It's kind of like the low hum noise that your refrigerator makes. It's kind of quiet, but it's always there. It's always there until someone points it out or until it breaks, you don't really notice that it's there. The the low hum in many of our souls is that we're not loved or lovable. And if anyone knew the whole story about my life, if anyone knew the real me, then they wouldn't stick around. That I would be as lonely on the outside, as isolated on the outside as I sometimes feel on the inside. And if that's the case, because that is the case for many of us, instead of then living a life of love for others, we live a life of fear. Or we live a life of self-protection where we're calculated and overly cautious, not really moving in love into other people's lives. We know we're supposed to love other people. The reality, though, is Only loved people love people. Only loved people love people. If you're not loved, and if you don't know that you're loved, what hope do you have of actually loving someone else? You have have nothing to draw upon. You have no example to follow. You're, You're trying to fill someone else's empty tank, someone else's tank from your own empty one. What hope do we have of that? But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is... You are loved. You are loved. The God of love, the God who is love, loves you. And to the extent that that we can get that truth into our souls, we will become a loving people. 
to that extent, we will truly love others. And so as we dive in this morning, let's seek to be obedient to Jesus and his command for us to love one another. But let's also seek this morning to be saturated in this unfathomable gift of God's love. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to give you, each and every one of you in this room this morning, to give you a soul-level sense that you really are loved by God. John is writing, so that you will be a loving person. But more than that, John is writing, that you may know God's love. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book, to this word that God has revealed. This is 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that is Jesus Christ, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we give you thanks this morning for the hope that we have in Jesus the one who died, but who is risen and now rules over all. Because Jesus Christ lives, we look for eternal life, knowing that nothing past or present, nothing yet to come can separate us, Father, from your great love. And so we praise you for the presence of your spirit with us. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts that we may know the great love with which you have loved us. As deeply loved people, May we become deeply loving people. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, let's look at three things from this third and final discourse from John about love. We're going to first look at love's person, and then love's primacy, and then love's perfection. Person, primacy, perfection. So first, let's talk about love's person. Of all of the the words out there, 
It's a lot of words in our language, other languages. I'm not sure there's one that has a broader range of meaning than the word love. You heard Greg talk about this a couple Sundays ago. You can say, I love my wife and I love tacos. And you can mean both of those things, although hopefully they, they actually do mean something different. Add to that the complexity that, that we encounter when we start to wrestle with what love is. We try to get our head around what is actually love. For example, how much affirmation or challenge is involved with loving someone? Like when does love mean supporting someone unconditionally? And when does love instead mean confronting someone or opposing or correcting someone? Or is love an emotion or is love an action? How, how much does love have to do with the affection, the feelings that I have in my heart toward another person versus how much is love just about the, the self-sacrificial actions I take for someone else's benefit? These are important questions that, that we wrestle with and we, we will wrestle with. But what John is writing here is that these should not be our first question, that our first question actually should not be what is love, it should be who is love. And the answer, as John writes here, is God. Twice in this text, verses 8 and 16, John writes, God is love. And that is not, for John, some kind of empty sentiment. It's not just him being poetic, using flowery language. John here is making a statement about the very essence of God. He's saying not only is God loving, not only does he do things that are loving, but he himself is love. John Piper said it this way. He said, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat because it is heat. Notice, too, this has always been true of God. This is not something that God started to do. He didn't add love to his identity after he created the world. God is love from before the world's foundations. Verses 13 through 16 here are deeply Trinitarian. We see the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, John writes, has given us the Spirit. The Father has sent the Son, and whoever confesses the Son abides in the Father. That seems initially like maybe a tangent in John's message, in John's letter, but it's actually very related to the point he is making here. The three persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, have eternally existed in a relationship of perfect love. The reason that they work so seamlessly together in creation and in sustaining the world and in redeeming is because theirs is a relationship of love. And it's the overflow of that love among the Father and the Son and the Spirit which compels all of God's work. And it's that relationship of perfect love which you are created for and invited into and are adopted into through, through Jesus Christ. And that's why John can write here that Whoever abides in love actually abides in God, and God abides in him. Love is a person. It's a person. So two things for us to take away from this. First, always define love by God and his standard. Let that be the, the metric. Let that be the measure of, by which we define love. He is love. His work and his heart, that is the definition of love. That doesn't resolve all the, the questions that we have about, you know, in any given moment, what does love look like? How does living and speaking and serving in this moment, how do, how do we do that in a loving way? 
But it does anchor our pursuit of love in the beautiful design of the Father, in the self-sacrificial redemption of the Son, and in the comforting help of the Holy Spirit. That's love. That's love. Anchor your definition of love in God. The first question about love is not what is love, it's who is love. And God is love. And then the second thing for us to take from this is to recognize that any love that we show can only be the result and the overflow of a relationship with God himself. Any love that we show can only be the result and the overflow of a relationship we have with God. You, you cannot, in other words, work your way into a life of love. You can't study your way into a life of love. But you can, John says, you can know the God who is love. You can be loved by love himself and invited into the perfect love of the Trinity. You can be someone who lives a life of love. And so this morning, if, if you're someone who is running away from a relationship with God, or maybe someone who's never really had one or cared to have one, you will be severely limited in your ability to express love. You'll be severely limited in your ability to express love. We, we shouldn't be surprised that our culture has become a cancel culture. We shouldn't be surprised that, that hatred and vitriol characterize a ton of human interaction. That's been true in every era in different ways. It's certainly true in ours. Now, it's not that people apart from God are incapable of any kind of love. Everyone has been created in the image of God. Everyone bears the image of God. And so no matter how far you have run from God, aspects of his image on you, in you, remain intact. You have some capability to express real love because you are an image bearer of God. But your ability to love will be immensely empowered or immensely constrained based on the relationship you have with God and even what kind of present experience you have of that. We, we can't expect something else to be a sufficient remedy to turn us into loving people. Like one of the popular ones right now is different kinds of marketing campaigns. There's a bunch of them out there, but one is a t-shirt and signs and stuff with like a bumblebee on it. And it just says, be kind. It's not going to do it. It's not, it's not going to be sufficient to make us truly loving people. The, the spirit of God who opens our eyes to see the beauty of the Father, the, the spirit who loosens our tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that same spirit has to open our hearts to love. That's the only way we become loving people. So I want to ask you this morning, are you a loving person? Are you a loving person? Do you feel deep love for others? Do you show love tangibly, practically for others? Or are you, are you more prone to cynicism, withdrawing yourself, withholding care and concern from people? Are you, more, are you more prone to suspicion, always assuming the worst of other people? If, if, that's, if that's where you are, if you look at your life and say, I'm not really a loving person, I just want to encourage you this morning, you will not solve that by just resolving to be a more loving person. You won't, you won't change that by applying more effort or reading more about love. The Bumblebee t-shirt, it's not going to do it. Our lack of love through and through is a relational problem. If God is love and our lives are not characterized by love, that's saying something about our relationship with the triune God. 
And so wherever you would recognize a lack of love in your life, see that this morning as an invitation into a deeper relationship with the God who is love. Now, thankfully, God doesn't wait around for us to to figure this out and, and start to pursue him. He initiates a relationship of love with us. And so second, let's talk about love's primacy. Love's primacy. Uh, In any genuine relationship, in any relationship that's not superficial, that actually has some substance to it, someone always has to go first. Someone always has to go first. In a relationship, a friendship, where people are honest and vulnerable with each other, someone goes first. Someone sets the tone to make that friendship a safe enough space where we can actually talk about real things and, and the actual stuff going on in my life. Or in a broken relationship, where, where people have hurt one another and maybe even become estranged, estranged from each other. In a relationship where forgiveness and reconciliation are required, somebody has to go first. Somebody actually has to take a step toward the other. Or in a serious dating relationship, often as it's getting a little bit more serious and moving toward marriage, there's this simultaneously exhilarating and terrifying moment where you've moved from really liking each other to loving each other, and you both might have a sense of that, that something's changed and we're not just kind of in the like phase of this anymore, and yet somebody has to go first. Somebody has to say the words out loud, I love you, and throw it out there into empty space and see if it's going to get reciprocated or not. Someone always goes first. In our relationship with God, there's no question about who goes first. It is always and only God. And John makes that abundantly clear in this text in three ways. First is in verse seven. It says, love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So all love has its origin in God. Love exists because God exists. And we are created, we were created out of the overflow of the love he already had among the three persons of the Trinity. Before we ever were, his love was. The second place John says this is in verse 10. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And John has written about this before. We've looked at it already a little bit during the series. Notice that the two most tangible examples, the manifestations of God's love, are the incarnation and the propitiation of Jesus Christ. So verse 9 is the incarnation. John writes, in this, God's love was made manifest. So he didn't leave it up in the air as this ambiguous, ethereal thing. Like, what is love? I'm not sure exactly what love is. Love, God's love, has substance. It has literal flesh and blood substance. Jesus took on flesh and came into the world so that we might live through him. That's love. And then verse 10, not only the incarnation, but propitiation. This is love that God sent his son to be the propitiation, the the atoning, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. This is God going first. This is the primacy of God's love. If, If a loving relationship with God were left up to us, it never would have happened. It never would have happened. It's not that God responds to our love. It's not that we wear God down. You know how in some dating relationships, maybe this is true of your relationship, your marriage, like one of you wore down the other. And it just persistently, over many attempts of asking someone out, eventually someone's like, fine. That's not how it worked with us and God. We didn't say, God, please, please. And he's like, all right, fine. No, he went first. 
It's that he loved us. It's while we were yet sinners, Romans chapter five. It's while we were dead in our trespasses, Ephesians chapter two. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then the third and the most straightforward place that that John writes about the primacy of God's love is verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You and I are, are utterly incapable of love unless we have first been loved. Love has no source but God. Love cannot originate in us, but created by the God who is love and redeemed by God the Son who is love and indwelt by God the Spirit who is love. Well, now we can love because he first loved us. The all-important question for you this morning is do you actually believe this? Do you actually know how loved you are? And I don't mean that in, in an intellectual or even doctrinal assent kind of way. If, if we put a survey out there with just a checkbox that said yes or no, and the question was, am I loved by God? Most of you would probably check yes. You know that's true. What I mean is, are you living each and every day, are you living today with a deep soul level sense that you are loved by God? Because if we're honest, a lot of us aren't convinced. A lot of us aren't convinced. For some of us, that's a moral struggle. You're embattled in some kind of sin in your life, and so you're hiding, and you're fearful. And because God is omnipotent, you know, he sees and knows everything, including the darkest parts of our past, the darkest parts of our present. You just can't fathom that he would see all of that stuff and know all that stuff and, and still love you. For others of us, this is an identity struggle. You carry such a deep sense of insecurity about who you are. When you wake up in the morning, your first thought, your default thought is that you're not enough, not lovable. Maybe someone significant in your life even said that to you in like a really formative moment and that just now feels cemented in your heart. For some of us, this is circumstantial. You can't see how a God of love is compatible with the things that you're experiencing in your life right now or someone that you care deeply about. How, how could God be loving and this be true at the same time and this be happening to me or this other person? Circumstantial. Or for others of us, it's just an overall emotional struggle. You're, you have a heart that in reality is cold and callous. You have a heart that's become numb. Our emotions are, are not at all the most important thing about us but they do matter. They are part of what it means to be human. But maybe you've so dialed back that part of your humanity that that it's become functionally non-existent. You try not to feel anything. And so how how could you really have a sense that you are loved by God? I've been in all of those places in my life. And I've been in more than one of those places at the same time in my life. And maybe you have too. And as inexperienced as I still remain in all of this, I have learned enough to not try and just give you some kind of silver bullet advice and solve that for you this morning. So I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do in just a minute is pray for you. And we're just going to take a minute in the middle of the sermon, and it might feel a little awkward because we don't normally do that, but we're just going to stop in the middle of the sermon, and I'm just going to pray over you. And when I pray over you, what I'm going to pray is verse 16. So look back here at verse 16. John writes, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. 
That sentence is amazing. That that sentence is more life-altering than you could imagine. If you could say with confidence those words that John writes here, that you have actually come to know and believe the love God has for you, that that would change your life forever. That would change this world forever. And John is writing this letter that you would actually know God's love, that you wouldn't be left on the fence wondering, like, does he love me? Is it kind of love? Is it a little bit that way? He wrote in chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And then he said, and so we are. And so we are. That's the primacy of God's love. He goes first. He does not leave us wondering if he really loves us. The Father really loves you. And the Son, Jesus Christ, really loves you. And the Holy Spirit really loves you. Love has been lavished on you by the God who is love. And so I'm going to pray that you would come to know and believe the love that God has for you. And I'm going to invite you, even Steve, as he leads communion in a little while, will come and, well, he'll, he'll invite you to come and be prayed for. If you're really wrestling to believe that deeply in your soul this morning, come and be prayed for in that. Come pray that you really would know and believe the love that God has for you. If you don't feel comfortable doing it during the service, stick around after the service and just find a way to let myself or one of the leaders know we would love to pray that over you. We would love to pray in a mysterious way the love of God into you if we could do such a thing. But if you're struggling to grasp that, that you're deeply loved by God, then as I pray right now, would you just, would you just open your hands even? Just where you're sitting and close our eyes together and just open your hands. Let me pray. Father, you truly love us. You truly love us. In spite of our fears, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our, of our sin and the shame that we carry and the insecurity that we carry, I pray that you would break through all of the, the obstacles. I pray you'd break through all the lies. I pray you'd break through all of the hardness that exists in our hearts, in the hearts of the men and women seated here in this room with me this morning. And I pray that breaking through those things, you would give a deeper sense even now of your love for us. That we would come to know and believe the love that you have for us. May that be true of us. May that be true of every man and woman and child in this room. That we would even walk out of this place this morning with with a deeper sense, a deeper knowledge, a deeper belief that you love us, that you really love us. Pray that for my friends in this room this morning. Amen. Amen. That's really where, in, prep, in preparing for the sermon this week, I just felt that that's where God was leading and directing. That, that there was a real need for us as a congregation of people to hear this from John this morning. Certainly that we're called to love each other, but a real deep sense that we needed to hear how loved we are by God. So do come pray with us if you're feeling that struggle. Come pray with us. We wanted to spend the bulk of our time there. John does also here emphasize the love that we need to have for each other. And so let's close just briefly by talking about that. The third point here is love's perfection. Love's perfection. And maybe you heard it as we read it, but there's, there's an audacious idea in this text, and that is that the love of God could be perfected in us. Perfected in us. God is love. It's part of his essence. The initiative, the primacy of love, it's all his. And yet, his love is perfected. His love is brought to its completion in and through us. 
I want you to think about this this morning. God manifested his love in the sending of Jesus. No one had ever seen God, but then God sent his son, and now we did see God. He came into the world. But then John goes on to say, since Jesus has now ascended back to the Father, since Jesus is no longer physically present with us in the world, the way that people see God and see the love of God is when Christians love each other. Our love for each other makes the otherwise invisible God visible. Our love manifests God's love. And the only thing which manifested God's love in any kind of comparably powerful way is the incarnation and the propitiation of Jesus. It feels scandalous to even think about that, let alone say it out loud. But that's what John writes here. That in the same way, or at least in a very similar way, that the propitiation, the incarnation of Jesus manifested God's love for the world, so now our love for each other manifests God's love to the world. So this is absolutely a matter of obedience. We have a commandment from Jesus, the greatest commandment, the new commandment. We are to love God and to love each other. And this is also absolutely a matter of integrity. John says we can't claim to love the God we've never seen if we refuse to love the flesh and blood people we do see. He's really blunt about it. He says, if we love God and hate our brother or our sister, we're lying. We don't actually love God. But in addition to obedience and integrity, recognize the immense opportunity of this. Because just like you and I struggle to believe that we're loved, just as we live way too many of our days with a nagging sense that we are not lovable, How much more do the men and the women and the children who at this moment are without hope and without God in the world? How much more do they not have a sense that they're loved or lovable? As God's beloved sons and daughters, our love perfects God's love. It brings it to completion by making the otherwise invisible God visible, by manifesting God and God's love to people who desperately need to see it and experience it. And so whatever hatred or bitterness or anger you might be harboring in your heart this morning, put that to death. Put that to death. Find a way to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. Find a way to pursue love. Bring God's love to perfection, to completion. Bring God's love to its full maturity. Because for followers of Jesus, and this is something that I need to hear in a room full of highly educated, motivated people like us need to hear. For followers of Jesus, maturity as a Christian is not measured by how much we know. It's measured by how much we love. Maturity is not measured by how many Bible reading plans you complete or prayers you pray or books you read or podcasts you listen to. Maturity is measured by how much of your heart is open to love. It's measured by how much of yourself you're willing to give away as a response to the love God has shown you. And so this week, What do you need to to put down in order to pick up a life of of greater love? That might be as practical as a time thing. Listening to one less podcast, watching one less show, reading one less article, and using that time to actually think, to dream about how you can love someone else or to step into that, to use that time to offer a word of encouragement or practical help to someone. Maybe it's, it's putting down your cynicism. It's putting down your suspicion of fellow Christians. Maybe it's not withholding your time and care from those one or two people that are just so hard for you to love. And you know you should, and you have opportunities to, but you just keep not doing it because it's hard. 
Maybe that's what it looks like this week. Whatever it needs to look like in your life, one thing I am sure of, we will never display this kind of love for others until we are convinced of God's love for us. When we know that we are deeply loved, that's when we become deeply loving. To the extent we believe God's love for us, we will manifest, we will perfect his love in the world. So men and women, even as John calls you this morning, beloved, beloved sons and daughters of God, through the incarnation and the propitiation of Jesus Christ, you are loved by the God who is love. You are loved this morning. May you come to know and believe this love that God has for you and then loved by him. May you love one another. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we do ask that you would fill us with a deep sense of your love for us, that we would be able to say with John that we have come to know and believe the love you have for us. We want to be loving people. We want to show love in our relationships with each other. We want the world to see and to be compelled because they've seen your love manifested in us. But we know that first we need to really believe and receive your love. So help us even now as we prepare to come to this table, the supreme manifestation of your love, that you sent Jesus Christ into the world, that we might live through him, that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. As we come to this table to remember that, to rejoice in that, would this table be for us by the power of your spirit, a rock solid reminder that we are loved by you. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.